Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you had a great Christmas week and Happy New Year. It's good to be here with you this morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Charlie. I'm privileged to serve as one of the pastors on staff here at West Cabarrus Church, and uh, it's just a joy to come together and uh, to open God's Word as we prepare to go into a new year. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, uh, I invite you to grab it and turn to John chapter 8 this morning. And if by chance you came today and you do not have a Bible, we have some in our lobby of our Welcome Center. Those are free for you to grab. Take that with you and uh, feel free to use it. Uh, Take one for a friend. If you know someone that needs a Bible, we want to equip people with God's Word. So this morning, as we prepare to go into the new year, I want to give you Just a leg up on the new year, if you will. So before midnight tonight, you can say that you've been enlightened a little bit, and you're this much smarter than you were yesterday, all right? So I want to give you just four quick facts that I think are really going to serve you well as we get started this morning. Number one is, in case you did not know, Australia is wider than the moon, okay? So point one, if you're taking notes there. No, just kidding, you won't need that. All right, Uh, there are 293 different ways to make change for a dollar. Good practice for your kids in doing math. Um, For those that still enjoy a box of cereal that is unhealthy for you, this will be exciting news. Fruit Loops are all the same flavor despite the different colors. It's your brain, right? How many of you just learned something? You're like, no, it's really strawberry, I promise. You taste the lemon, all right? And then finally, and this one to me is one of the most important, because at Christmas time, we've enjoyed holiday meals. You've been with family. I've, uh, a week and a half ago, got to go and be with my uh, grandmother and extended family. And I discovered a truth that it's just important to pass along. As someone who's a connoisseur of this specific dish in my family, uh, and that is this, my grandmother is specifically the world's champion of making mac and cheese. Undefeated. It's unbelievable. Uh, Every friend, people I've taken over the years, she makes the best. Uh, But no, seriously, as we start this morning, uh, one of the things we have the privilege to do is to uh, just finish out our Christmas light series that Pastor Ryan has been leading us through uh, the three weeks prior. And today we conclude looking at the light of the world from John chapter 8. And just real quickly, just to begin setting up our minds, think about it real quick with me, if you will. The use and the performance of light has incredible meaning to us as humans. We use it to see as well as we use it as a figure of speech for discovering truth. We even have a word for giving someone greater knowledge or understanding, and I just used it a minute ago, enlightenment. But this morning, I want to focus our attention on not just being a little bit more, but what does it look like to know the light of the world? And so with that, if you will, grab your Bible, John chapter 8, and we will begin reading in verse 12. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. 
but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to this time, and uh, Father, we just lay ourselves before you. Lord, we open your word now, and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, give us understanding and discernment. Lord, would your Holy Spirit move and speak within our lives? God, I beg that you would move through my voice and the words that are said, that, that God, they would be your words. And Father, may we leave this place different than the way we came. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So in the book of John, we have seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Of the seven, this statement, I am the light of the world, highlights Jesus' role as Messiah and as the Son of God. As we learned last Sunday in Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus would usher in a time where God would reveal, reveal himself to humanity as the light in human form. Not a partial light or one that leads to enlightenment, but the source and creator of all light. Let's look here, even at first point this morning at our scripture, of how God reveals himself as God, as he is the light. Number one, revealing himself as the true light. Throughout the Bible, light has always been a symbol of holiness, goodness, knowledge, wisdom, grace, hope, and God's revelation. And at the beginning of time, God created light to dispel or get rid of darkness and the chaos that was over the earth. How fitting is it that God created light for us through the sun, moon, and even the stars by simply calling the light into being? Take a look at Genesis 1-3 sometime and you can see God out of nothing saying, let there be light. For the Christian, light is of extreme importance because it symbolizes the nature of our holy God. 2 Corinthians 4-6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This means that the same God who created the physical light in the universe is the same God that creates supernatural light in the soul of believers. This light is what transforms the soul from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we know, even this week from the Christmas story, that Jesus came in human form to reveal himself as the true light of the world. Jesus was revealing all of these things in John chapter 8 during what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. All right? Now, Feast of Tabernacles was a yearly feast that happened. And Jesus was in the temple court as he is making these statements. And it, this yearly feast, if you were, was a reminder to the people of Israel of their time, all the way back in Exodus, when God set them to wander 
in the wilderness. And because they had disobeyed God, God left them out there for 40 years. But there was something that God did to guide them still, and that was that his presence guided them by day and at night by a pillar of fire. And in that guiding, God was their light. And so in the Feast of Tabernacles, the worshipers each night would wait for the signal of the special lighting. And these lamps were intended to remind the people of God leading them through the wilderness at night. And the lighting of the lamps signaled Israel's recommitment to God as their light. So go with me, if you will, just for a second. Jesus is in the temple. The procedure of lighting these lamps is taking place. And now Jesus steps forward with this statement. And his announcement is, I am the light of the world. And in this context, he would have sounded like an outrageous claim, and to the ears of the Pharisees especially, because he went beyond the usual religious assertions of enlightenment, and he claimed to be the light himself. So in that setting, Jesus is saying, all that's taking place, the remembrance of God, the things you're, being, you're going back to and remembering how God saved you, how God guided you, that light, I am he. And we'll get to this in a minute, but imagine if you're sitting there for a second as someone who's been following God, you would very quickly probably, as I would, stand there and go, not so fast, sir. Let's do a little fact checking here. But let's listen a little further here. What Jesus is really claiming, though, is not just to be the light of the world, but to be the savior of the world. See, he... That was a role that was reserved for God, for the creator, for Yahweh. And Jesus is saying that the evil that has brought destruction to your life and seems to be inescapable can be defeated. I'm a defeater of that. I can defeat that. He's saying to a humanity that continues even now to daily learn that it is hopeless on its own, that he is the overcomer of darkness by claiming he is the light. He is announcing Himself then, and I want to say even to us this morning, he is announcing himself as God in this passage. And we must understand that this was the announcement the Pharisees and all the Jews had been longing for. They've been holding on for years, decades, centuries that the Messiah would come. And God himself had come in Christ. And so many of us, even in our world today, we're longing for Christ to come. Oh, that Jesus would reveal himself. And the one true God has come and is announcing that he is the holder of all light and truth. Yet we see that he was challenged by the Pharisees. And honestly, Jesus sits on trial even today in many of our own hearts. To understand the light, we have to take a moment, though, and look at what is darkness. And, and so I want to take us just for a moment into the darkness. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've, I've been caving like twice. One was what I would call legit spelunking, where you're like climbing in in the mud and you got a headlight on and, you know, if claustrophobia is not your friend, those kind of things. And another was just, you know, a nice little cavern tour. But I'll never forget taking students year ago to summer camp and doing the actual spelunking. Like they set you up like, hey, you're going to be walking in the mud, you'll be in water and walking through and everything. And so we're, we're doing in this cave and as we're going... We get to this spot in uh, one of the rooms there in the cave, 
And the guy that's up ahead goes, all right, everybody here? Good, good, good. Let's gather around. All right. Everybody turn off your lights. Now, if you're scared of the dark, that's not, let me just warn you, don't, don't sign up for this trip. You know, you, you've heard it, and if you've done it, you know what I'm about to say. But the, the part where they say, you can't see your hand in front of your face, uh, y'all, you can't even see your hand touching your eyelids. Like, it is darkness. And what it does in that moment is, like, you're like, whoa, this is cool. But we're creatures of light. Like, darkness is like, all right, where am I? What's going on? And instantly the thought is, what if these lights don't come back on? Well, where do we go? How do we get out? What's, what's the next thing? And so this darkness is just this heaviness, is gripping. And in a matter of less than a minute, your mind goes from this is awesome to racing with anxiety of what's next. What is it like to stay like that? Just all sorts of things. There's this heaviness. And darkness, it, it comes with a heaviness, a loneliness. And in darkness, you can't see what's around you. You don't know the future. Now, real quickly, spiritual darkness represents everything just like the physical darkness, except sometimes even more. Here's, listen just to what spiritual darkness is. It, it is considered to be anti-God or wicked. Proverbs 2.13 tells us of that. Darkness is also judgment, Exodus 10. Evil is darkness. Sin is darkness. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, we have lived in a fallen world, and we are born in a fallen state of sin and separation from God. Proverbs 4.19 says this, But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, like that cave darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Living in rebellion to God and his will is the equivalent to living in spiritual darkness. We understand our eyes are wired to soak in as much light as possible, right? Think about this. Last time you went to a movie theater and you went to watch the movie, you know, they take you through the hour and a half of previews. And through that segment, you know, they're slowly fading the lights on you. And you watch the show, comfortable and everything. And hopefully you've enjoyed this wonderful feeling of exiting, not through the lobby that you came, but you've made the really great decision to exit the theater right into daylight because you went to the matinee. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And you walk outside and it's just like, oh, like your eyes are just like instant, like shut down because of the brightness that's there. And one of the things that happens to us is our brain and our eyes are geared that we're going to soak in as much light as possible. So much that, catch this, that what we end up doing is we adjust in the darkness so much that we think of the darkness as light. And we, we begin to go, no, the lights are on. But what happens when we go out inside the true light? Then the sunlight is like, I can't see. This is too much. It's overwhelming. And we realize just exactly what darkness we were in. And it's so interesting to me how we can live in elements of darkness in our lives, and over time we become absolutely numb to them. Elements of, life, of light around us and justify the darkness, even to the point of calling it good. Yet like exiting the movie theater, when we get in the true light, the darkness is completely extinguished. Listen to Isaiah 5. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Folks, think just for a moment. If, if you're wondering about this, we live in a world that calls darkness light and refers to it as being an enlightened. We live in a world that celebrates things that should be mourned. We live in a world that puts things on parade that should be in a morning service. Like the darkness is at work. And I'm afraid that in many times, even for the believer, we have come to the place of just acceptance and just even mending the ways of going, eh, that may not be so bad. And we mix the darkness that we've been in and we start to call it light. The Apostle Paul describes those living outside of Christ as possessing a darkened, closed mind and a hardened heart. He says in Ephesians 4, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You see, spiritual darkness leads to spiritual ignorance and a hardened heart that is not receptive to the truth. You see, when we truly understand the darkness, it's usually something that we long to escape. Nobody that truly understands darkness goes, yeah, no, I'm good here. If we truly understand the weight of sin and what it does to our lives and how it affects, there's a cry within us that says, I want out. I need out. There's something, there's a spirit of God that's moving that says, I need out. But maybe when you understand this, you wonder, how can we trust that Jesus is the true light? Now, I want to take a few minutes this morning. I want to speak to those that are still skeptics, asking these questions and, and sitting here pondering this. Because that's the very thing the major portion of this passage is about. Verse 12, Jesus makes his statement, and then the rest of this passage is a dialogue with the Pharisees, threatening or essentially questioning the authority of the light. And so we have here, they question first. Listen, we'll talk through this and we'll read some scripture again here. But they question Jesus being the light. We're not alone. And look at it. It's the religious leaders who are doubting the claim. They questioned first that Jesus spoke without any human witnesses. They're like, hey, you're saying this of your own with no witnesses. They questioned his judgment because he wasn't in a human position to judge them or judge others. And ultimately, here's what they're doing, and I'll break this down for you in a minute. But what they were doing was they were questioning God. Now notice that the authority of Jesus is being questioned here, and it's the religious doing it. In verse 18, there we see they're questioning him. And here's what I'll tell you. It is the religious, those that practice even religion, that ultimately are claiming that Jesus is the darkness. And Jesus responds, no, I'm not the darkness. I am God. See the contrast. They're saying, no, you're evil, you're darkness. Jesus, verse 18, goes, no, I'm actually God. And so recognize even today, even on a a religious level, that being religious is actually just another form of darkness. And here's why. Because some of us have come to the place that we believe we are converted to Christianity, and we miss that we are to be transformed by a relationship with Christ. Attending church, having good moral habits, does not save anyone. You see, lost people go to church every Sunday and try to act right. And if that was the way and it worked, if being religious was good enough, then the Pharisees should not be who we critique, they should be who we model. Because they were the religious people that had it figured out. They followed the law to the letter. And some of you, I'm, I'm fearful that some of you may think, you just want religion so you can pick it up and put it down when it's convenient. 
But I promise you that these actions alone won't ever be enough, and you're cheating your heart and life of what it means to walk in the light. The Pharisees, they oppose Jesus in the name of God. This is what practicing religion does. It looks for right practices and misses being in right relationship. Pharisees argued that Jesus' own self-defense was not admissible evidence. They called Jesus' testimony into question because it was a self-testimony. Look again at your Bible, if you will. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. He says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Quickly, this goes back to the law that was established in the Old Testament. It was so no one could just show up and make up their own testimony. It makes sense, right? We use this in our own judicial system. You need a witness to corroborate your story. To back it up. But Jesus is not just another human. You see, he was God in the flesh. And so his response to them is not with witnesses to support his statements, but by addressing their ignorance. And here's the two things. They were ignorant on two accounts. And that was, in verse 14, the first part was, he, even if I testify, testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and where I am going, but you do not know. See, they were ignorant of not knowing Jesus and ultimately not knowing the true God. How could this be? How could the people who have studied the Bible not recognize God that is before them? The leaders saw themselves as the judge and acting as God, declaring what is true and not. Can I tell you, this is the darkness of practicing religion. Religion does the judging instead of welcoming Jesus to come and judge. Religion stands back and says, I've got it. I've got the knowledge. I've been enlightened. I know truth. Now, therefore, I judge and I look down on the rest. Think about how this plays out in our culture of people that claim to be religious. They claim to be enlightened and to have that truth. Ever wonder how someone could become a judge in this negative sense? I can tell you. Those that claim Christianity and are guilty of the sin of judging, if you've ever walked this path, I, I can tell you, it would be to take the Bible, open it, read it, and from that point, judge everyone else's life but your own. To take and go, got it, here's what it says, now all y'all fix yourselves. And we go, well, that's not me, and I'm like, as I read and studied this week, I became more and more convicted that the Lord desires that I would spend time in his word and that it would impress upon my own heart the need to open his word and to speak into my own life. And so in verse 15, he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But if I do, and the Father who sent me judge, Jesus' witness to who he is is not another human, but is to God the Father. And throughout Scripture, what we'll find, what's unique is who can give witness to God if it's from heaven? Like, Jesus is the Son of God walking on earth. Who's his witness going to be? It's a cool thing about Scripture. The Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They give testimony, they give witness to each other. 
That's the importance of it. That's why it, the hinge point in every conversation that you'll find in talking about Jesus, salvation, and everything is going to be the validity that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Because that's the breakdown point when you talk amongst religions is they can believe, they can go with you on, I believe in God. Yes. Jesus, yes. Whether it was he was a good man that achieved enlightenment, he educated this, or he was transformed one day. No. Scripture teaches he was the son of God, fully God, the moment he was born and brought onto this earth. And the father gives testimony to that. And so one day... You know, it says, he says, Jesus says, saying, let's, let's go back to it for a second. He's saying, I didn't come to judge. Can I tell you, some of us believe that Jesus, that was his only purpose. I would tell you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because I think what you'll see is Jesus, the first time he came, he didn't come as a judge. He came on an absolute rescue mission of leading the perfect light that is eternity in heaven. And he came to, into the darkness that is our world. Now one day he will judge. There will be a judgment. But oh that we would grab hold and see. Christ came with an absolute nothing but a love on a rescue mission he didn't have to do. But because he desired a relationship with us who live and dwell in darkness. Oh that would, should stir our soul this morning. That we would be encouraged and recognize the love of Christ. That we just celebrated this past week, and then hopefully we'll get the chance to walk in. But the Pharisees, they, they completely missed the mark on their judgment, and thus missed on having a personal relationship with their Messiah. I encourage you, I hope this morning, if you're here questioning the authority of Jesus as the light and who he is, I hope that even in looking at these scriptures, you, you begin to just see those walls break down. And see that Jesus not only had the right, he has every right to proclaim himself to be the light. And so knowing that Jesus has all authority as the light of the world, let's take a look at how we possess this light. And following the light of life. Now look with me. We'll go back to the beginning where we started here in verse 12. And, and listen to the scripture again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, and here's what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the application for us. Take a look in the middle of this verse, and you will see the word, whoever. Now, this, this word should honestly excite you, and you go, well, it just says whoever. Woo. But here's why. Listen. This word is it, whoever. It's not a qualifier to a select group of people. It's not limited to location, race, age, language, or ethnicity. In this sentence, whoever is a global word referring to all humanity. Jesus is signaling, even before the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts has come, Jesus is signaling that the light of the world would be for all people. All right? Here's why that should excite you. That you qualify as part of this verse. You are a whoever. We are whoever. And it's a personal statement from Jesus. And so the question now, as we just kind of break this sentence down a little bit, is whoever does what? And he says, whoever follows me. Follow me. Jesus doesn't come with a list of things to accomplish 
or crazy things that we have to learn, do. No, he actually gives something that's very simple, wouldn't you say? Can we all agree that the two words, follow me, are about as simple as it gets? Some of y'all need to wake up, nod your heads a little bit, shake it loose. There it is. Christmas coma there kicking in. All right. But I don't know that he could have said it much easier than follow me. And at the same time, I'm not sure he could have made it much harder, right? And so he says, follow me and you will what? There's two things that we get out of this and that will happen. The first one he says is you will not walk in darkness. Not walk in darkness. Meaning no longer under the direct influence of evil. No longer walk without the light. But now seeing the reality of things around you because you walk in the light. See, what does light do? It dispels darkness. Darkness, the moment in a perfectly pitch black room, the moment a tiny candle is lit, it illuminates the whole space. Darkness has no battle with light. Jesus says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. The darkness of this world. The things that chase you, that haunt you. The sins that you cannot escape. Jesus says, I am the light that brings, will expel that darkness and I will help you not walk in it. There's a couple of things we need to see. When it says you will not walk in darkness, he doesn't say you'll never be in darkness again. But this walking is progressive, present, steadfast. It means you won't be stuck living surrounded completely by it. But the light, because it expels it, it reveals the sin. It reveals the evil that it is. For some of you right now, that should or may possibly be one of the most encouraging statements you've heard. Because your heart and soul is completely gripped and has been gripped for a long time by burdens, grief, worry, anxiety, and things that you just wish you could get rid of and go, this is not the way I was made. I'm not content. I'm aching for something more. And Jesus is saying, first thing, if you follow me, you're not going to have to walk in darkness. Why? Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. What happens when light shows up? You don't walk in darkness going, where am I going? What's next? No, you're walking with light, which means you have purpose and you can see. And so the second thing, without stealing my own thunder there, is you have the light of light, the, the light of life, excuse me. We won't just get a glimpse of the light or have a chance to learn about it. Track with me here. We won't gain some type of enlightenment or be smarter than those in darkness if we follow Christ. We will have the light of life. We will possess the light. This is relationship language that is so much more than any religion has to offer. When we believe and surrender our life to Christ, he changes our identity through the acceptance of his sacrifice on the cross, and we have his Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us. We don't just grow in the light, we possess it. We possess it. The light comes to live in us. Man, what a securing thing. It's one thing to be in that dark, back to that dark cave for a second, and someone up ahead shine a light so you can see. That helps. It's even better when they go, let me give you the light so you can see. And that light is present. It's future, not just for where I am presently, but where I'm going. And it illuminates what is real and true and not just what might be. 
Let's translate that real quick. That means darkness, the typical way of darkness is we tend to live more by emotion than we do by facts and reality. Would you not agree? In this world and in culture, what is the gravitational pull of our decision making in so many things is I don't feel this. I want to feel this. And emotion drives and what happens? The darkness takes greater grip in that. What happens with light is it reveals what's real and true, that sound decision-making might be possible, that Jesus would be seen. But let's be real honest. The hardest part of this is the following. Because following means asking Jesus not just to lead, but it, it means Saying, Jesus, what's next for my life? And then waiting on that. Walking in the light means holding on and saying, okay, Lord, what are you revealing? What's next? And it can be absolutely real hard. Some would say impossible at times. Because following means someone else is leading. It means surrender of control. And for some of us, that's the breaking point. The surrender of control. Following means we have to deny ourselves. Following means you must have self-control. Following means emotions aren't the decision maker, but the leadership of Christ is. Jesus knew this part would be tough, y'all. This is not something he just later looked at and went, well, I challenged him to do something that was really tough. Hope it works. No, this is why he left heaven, to come be our atonement and our example. Let, let the puzzle pieces of the New Testament, of the Bible even, come together. Jesus left perfect eternity. Why? Not only for, to come on the rescue mission for us, but to live the example of what he was going to call us to. He didn't leave us without the example. My goodness, my friend, if you're an unbeliever today, please see the love that is in Christ. That didn't just say, here's what you need to do. Go walk in it. Okay, good luck. No, he left, lived the example all the way out, died on a cross he never deserved, only to defeat it. Why? One, to prove he was God, but also that it might redeem you and I. Oh my goodness. Talk about light coming to the world. Man, that ought to, man, for the believer here, your soul ought to be leaping right now. That is the good news. But listen to Jesus' words to his disciples when he talks about denying yourself. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does following Christ look like? Jesus' command, he says, take up your cross. It is a call to self-abasement and self-sacrifice. It's a call to die to ourselves in order to follow Jesus. Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God. Why? Because you've realized, you know what, I'm a mess this is flawed. God is perfect. He's the light. I'm walking there. And this, that may come across as harsh or too much, but when you're following the light of life, there's no room for darkness. Think about that. When we're following Christ, especially when you're walking closely, Christian, you know this. When you're walking in step with Christ and you're spending time in his word and time in his prayer, in, in prayer, it's amazing how much room there's not for darkness. Would you not agree? Darkness just doesn't have much space. It's when we start, begin to separate and back off a bit, isn't it? The darkness begins to creep. The sin begins to jump on. 
And there's likely a longing in some of our hearts even now to be right with God. But the greatest struggle is in surrendering your identity. Jesus came to die so that your old life of darkness would be crucified and you would have an identity in possessing the light of life. And that is Jesus. And I would tell us that if you're walking in darkness, the greatest thing, one of the greatest gifts God can give us is a new identity. It's not to leave us where we are, but to say, no, take on my identity. Possess the light of life. Let Jesus come in. Transform it inside out. Change your motives. Change your actions. You go, but what will the world think? And folks, I'm afraid sometimes we ask the wrong questions. We're looking around when we need to be looking up and going, God, what will you think? And the darkness has teased us into believing that it's more about pleasing the culture and people around us and the senses within us than it is about walking in the truth. But look what Jesus says. What are the benefits of this? Verse 25 and 26. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You see, the greatest blessing that could happen to any of us is that we would have a new identity. Following Jesus has rewards now, but oh so much greater with what awaits in eternity. My goodness, my time's gone. I'd love to just dive into this. But be cautious, my friends, that you do not gain the whole world only to forfeit your soul and be lost at the end of what this world has to offer. Even if you're doubting, I want to be another voice in your life that says this. Eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real places. Based on the authority of Scripture. Please don't skirt them by, by building a kingdom here. And this be the best life that you have. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? It means you have direct access to the light of life, God himself. And you get to hear from him by reading his word. It means you get direct audience with God to submit and to pray to him. It means you get to be an authentic Christian community. You be be in church. Yes, anyone's welcome in church. But as a member of the body of Christ, we come with purpose for worship on Sunday mornings. To gather in small groups that imperfect believers that are seeking to deny themselves every day would walk with Jesus. Church is a community of Jesus followers that continue to grow in learning to take up their cross. Listen to 1 John 1.7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Look around the room. We're from diverse backgrounds, jobs, cultures, all sorts of things. The only thing that unites us here is the community of being believers. But the greatest gift, you get to possess the light of life that is Jesus, and you get to leave the darkness. I love this. This is a difference maker. All other religions point to here. Let me point you to the light. Let me tell you a little bit more. And Jesus steps in, and he says, if I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, will have a relationship with the light of life. Stories told of a battleship that was on exercise at sea in bad weather. The captain was on the bridge. It was foggy. And just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side. 
The captain asked if it was steady or moving. The lookout replied, the light was steady, meaning they were on direct collision course with that ship. The captain ordered the lookout, signal to the other ship, change course 20 degrees. We are on a collision course with you. The signal came back, advisable for you to change course. The captain signaled, I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. I am a seaman, second class. You had better change course 20 degrees, came the reply. The captain was furious. He sent back, I am a battleship, change course. Back came the signal. I am a lighthouse, your call. You see, we can trust that Jesus is the true light. He is not some wise human that reached enlightenment, but the creator God who invites you and I to follow him, the light of the world. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus today, I would beg of you to understand and see Jesus as the light of the world. He loves you so much. He came into our darkened world. I know you've heard it over and over. But may your ears and heart be softened. He came into our darkened world on a rescue mission to save us. That we might, whoever would follow him, would possess him and have a relationship, be forgiven and gain eternity. He loves you so much. This isn't a message you're going to hear from this culture. But as I said, based on the authority of God's word, this is truth. Would you not choose to deny yourself and follow Christ today? If you've never surrendered to Christ, is the identity that you have and the darkness that you walk in, is it of such prize that it is worth holding on to? in light of the scriptures today. Believer, I challenge you, examine your life and see where you've allowed the darkness of sin to creep into your life. Take the light and expose it. Don't hide it. Expose it. Confess it. Confess your sin and then once again fall into a routine of saying, Lord, I take up my cross again. I deny myself as hard as it may be, knowing the pleasures and things around that I desire, and yet I yield all those to say, God, I'm trusting you to be my light in my life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just readily confess, God, that even with simple words, and you were so gracious, God, in your word to be, to be simple and to make it plain, yet, Father, we confess very quickly uh, Lord, our hearts struggle to grasp. Lord, we're quick to point the finger. We're quick to be the judge. And to be honest, we're quick to try to play God. And Father, we, we just confess right now, God, that you are truth, you are light. And we ask you to forgive us. I would ask you where you're seated, maybe just take a minute right now before things move on too quickly. And if God's revealed some darkness and maybe some sin, that you would just take a moment in your seat and just confess that. If you're at a place of walking in darkness and you've never taken a step of following Jesus, oh, that you would come to the place of repentance and starting a new year. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender, I yield. Lord, get this darkness, get this identity off of me, please, and exchange it with you. Oh, that I might be transformed. And hear me, 
He will do it. So, Father, we, Father, we lean into you. Lord, who else do we have to go to at this point? We thank you for being our light. Lord, help us. For the believers today, God, would you give us strength to follow you? When we grow tired and weary of denying ourselves, and Lord, we, our eyes get too quick to look around and to judge by the world's standards. God, would you remind us to die to ourselves? And remind us, God, that it's your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. Oh, Jesus, we're thankful for your word. And we're thankful for you coming and dying for us. May our lives be different. And may we embrace this truth in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, one of the best ways we can embrace God's word is to put it within our hearts. And one of the best ways we can do that is to sing. I want to invite you, would you stand, sing, and join our worship team now as we worship the Lord.